بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم running a few minutes late this morning which is not good news while we're waiting to start there are some of you who had great difficulty in raising the money to be able to pay your travel expenses to come. I know about it. And who have difficulties, therefore, you may want to get books, you may want to get DVDs of lectures, but you have difficulties in paying for them. And we mentioned earlier that you can go ahead and take all the books you want and all the DVDs you want and take them with you in your suitcase. And when it's easy for you, you can then pay for them. But in addition to that, some of the participants in this retreat wanted to earn some blessings from Allah. So they've come forward and they have donated a donation, not charity, it's a gift. So you can go and get books now if you do not have the means to buy. Just go there and there's a, a budget now until that budget runs out. The books are there as a gift for you. And I think they'll be very disappointed if you don't come, go and take the books that they're giving to you as a gift, all right? Okay. Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We begin with Allah's blessed name. We praise Him and we glorify Him as He ought to be praised and glorified. And we pray for peace and for blessings on all His noble messengers and in particular on the last of them all, the blessed Prophet Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam. It was not by accident that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his wisdom chose to send the angel Gabriel, Jibra'il alayhi salam on that visit, that strange visit to the Prophet sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam towards the very end of his life. 
and to send the angel in a manner that was so mysterious. This man is not a resident of this city. No one knows him. So he has to be a traveler. He has to come out of the desert. But there is no dust of the desert on him. So this is a mystery. This is something mysterious. From where has he come? Did he drop out of the sky? What we have here is the divine wisdom at work to deliver an event that would truly be unforgettable. And so if we forget this event, we'd pay a price for it. And then there's the drama. He walks into the gathering. No one stops him. He comes and sits in front of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. He is so close that his knees are touching the knees of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. This is an inexcusable breach of security. If he had a dagger hidden inside his clothing and he would have pulled it out, no one was in a position to intervene to protect the Prophet an inexcusable breach of security. What is it that explains that we were fixed to our position? No one could move. And then the questions. And he knows the answers. Who is he? Some kind of a schoolmaster to be questioning the Messenger of Allah. And the Messenger of Allah submits to the questions. Yes. And he answers them. And then the stranger would say, your answer is correct, you're right. And then there was the hint of recognition when he asked, when would be the last hour? And the messenger, <laughs> the messenger of Allah said, the one who is being questioned has no more knowledge than the one who is questioning. Indicating that he knows who the stranger is. And more than that, he knows how much the stranger knows. This is drama. This is drama at its best. And it's not happening by accident. This event has to be analyzed with care. This, end, this event has to be penetrated all the layers of meaning that lie embedded in it and it is time that we devote ourselves to that task we argued that the event has to be studied as a whole the five questions to be taken as a whole and we found that the first three questions formed part one and the fourth and the fifth form part two. And that part one set the stage for understanding part two. That there was a link between part one and part two. That the subject 
of the last age and the subject of the signs of the last age required a special methodology in order to be able to be understood and that methodology is there in part one insofar as the paramount supreme importance of the subject is concerned we find it located in the timing of the event the very last stage in the life of the prophet in the timing of the event after Allah had said this day have I completed my task this day have I perfected the religion we find it in the drama of the event and so we are pleading today that you spend your days and nights instead of watching CNN spend your days and your nights probing delving entering into this event to try to fathom all its meanings its significance when he said that the signs of the last day were and he told us about the tall buildings we said that this was one that was very easy to recognize anybody could recognize the age where the tall buildings will come and so you know you're living in the last age when you see those tall buildings if you are seeing those tall buildings and if you're seeing people with the intellectual acumen the intellectual acumen of naked barefooted shepherds squandering the resources squandering the resources of the country squandering the resources of the economy in this futile struggle for recognition that this is a sign of progress the taller the building the greater the progress we are achieving if you see this and yet you turn away from it and you turn your attention to other things how foolish is that so that's the easy part of the subject but then we came to the other part which was so difficult that among the signs of the last day is this that a slave woman would give birth to her mistress and on the day of Jum'ah I normally would say Friday but I was told that Fry is a Scandinavian goddess and Friday is the day of recognition of worship of a Scandinavian goddess so let me stick to Yawmul Jum'ah <laughs> when we met on the day of Jum'ah we explained how she became a slave woman we explained riba to be the basic means through which 
Dajjal seeks to enslave mankind in order to be able to establish his dictatorship over the whole world. We spoke about one form of riba, the John Perkins. You remember that book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman? Try to get it. John Perkins spoke about how they would go to Bangladesh and they would force Bangladesh to take a very big loan for electricity, for power generation, for this and that and the other. And a significant part of that passage, of course, is going to Greece, the pockets of an elite who will now be beholden to them. <laughs> yes. So these will be their Trojan horses, and they will be in the military. Yep, the generals. They will be in the Ministry of Finance. They will be in the planning and division ministry. They might be in the Prime Minister's office. Might be the Prime Minister himself. And when the time comes to pay back the loan with the interest, Bangladesh can't pay. So Bangladesh defaults on the loan. And then they're going to have to negotiate something called rescheduling the debt, which is barter process. We will reschedule, but you must vote this way in the UN. We'll reschedule, but you must allow family planning. You must allow this and that and the other. Our part, our part of the bargain is that you must do these things and we'll reschedule your debt. So financial blackmail. So you lose your freedom. And when you lose your freedom, you become increasingly enslaved. And then we spoke about the other part of riba, not the lending of money and interest, but the corruption of money itself. And how when, if, if you can take paper and print it and put a number on it and then assign to it an entirely fictitious value. And I always warn my audiences, that here is someone who has studied international monetary economics at the doctoral level. So I know something about what I'm talking about. If you could take paper and print a picture, put a number on it, and assign to it an entirely fictitious value, you, you are attempting to create wealth out of nothing only Allah can do that. Well then, how can you get wealthy? How can you acquire wealth? How can you get this piece of paper to become valuable when it is valueless? The answer is that every time people use that paper and accept it as money, their loss is your gain. And so a monetary system came into place which banned the use of gold as money. It's there in the Articles of Agreement of the International Monetary Fund. And replace real money 
with bogus, fraudulent, haram paper currency. And secondly, not only are they creating wealth out of nothing, when we try to follow them on that path of shirk, like we did with Bank of Commerce, uh, BCCR, you remember that bank? When we try to print our paper, remember theirs is hard currency. Yeah? They have a special secret chemical. They dip the paper in it and it becomes a hard currency. <laughs> yeah? And all the world wants the hard currency. But we don't have that secret chemical. So when we print our paper, nobody wants it. Their secret chemical that they use to dip the paper is like taking all the oil-producing countries and getting their governments to become your clients and then creating a cartel called OPEC. And then you get that cartel to impose on what should be a free market, impose an obligation that no one can buy oil without that paper. And since oil is the largest commodity traded in the world economy, you are on your way for preserving your paper as hard <laughs> currency. Huh? I'm giving you just a few tidbits for those who want to research a subject. The world of Islamic scholarship has failed and failed miserably on this subject. And part of the reason for the failure is that the institutions of Islamic learning have not kept abreast with the changing world. And so the graduates that come out of the Darul Ulum, the Maulanas, the Shuyukh, the Muftis, are blissfully ignorant of international monetary economics. And when they do have a little bit of knowledge, it is usually defective. So we did tell you about how she became a slave woman. We did say that while there was slavery in the past, the greatest slavery of all is the one that lies ahead. Now then, how does the slave woman give birth to her mistress. We told you she will, she will do it on, 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 on Monday. Eh? Well, she is going to do it today. In order for us to understand the slave woman giving birth to her mistress and the link with the last age, we must go back to Dajjal. And we must go back also to ancient Egypt. Yesterday, I quoted for you from Surah to Yunus. You're lucky that I cannot interrupt the lecture to question you. Eh? You're lucky. Surah to Yunus, Surah number 10 of the Quran. 
And I shared with you that verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the event in which Pharaoh was drowning. Arrogant Pharaoh, power drunk. Pharaoh. Sounds like Washington, doesn't it? Arrogant Pharaoh, power drunk Pharaoh. Pharaoh declaring, I am the Lord Most High. Sovereignty is here, <laughs> not with him. Sovereignty is with the state. Pharaoh enslaving the people so he can use slave labor to build monuments, to build the pyramids. Sounds like the world today, doesn't it? Pharaoh, when he was drowning, the eyes could see. The eyes could see while he was drowning. The veils were removed. And then he realized, oh, oh, I am not God. I now realize I am not God. <laughs> That's the real God. The, the one that Banu Israel worships. And I now declare my faith in him. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded, Al-an, now Fir'aun, wa qad asayta qabl, and before this you were in obstinate, arrogant rebellion. Wa kunta min al-mufsideen, and you were committing fasad, that loaded word, fasad, 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 that which corrupts, and corrupts in a way to destroy facade and all the different manifestations of facade political facade, economic facade facade in the corruption of food facade in the corruption of the male-female relationship so many different forms of facade this day Pharaoh we have determined to preserve your physical body your badan. Litakuna, that you, meaning your physical body, meaning when your physical body is rediscovered, when it resurfaces in the historical process. Have you visited the Cairo Museum, any of you? Hmm? When your physical body resurfaces in the historical process, litakuna, Liman That would be a sign for a people who will come after you. Your body, and of course you know the body was discovered. And you know when it was discovered, don't you? It was discovered at precisely that moment in time when the Zionist movement was about to be born at the end of the 19th century, precisely at that time, that your body, when it resurfaces, when it is rediscovered, would be a sign for a people to come after you. 
But most people, most people are negligent about studying our science, oblivious of our science. Our science is there as big as a billboard to the airport. And you still miss it. They remain heedless of our signs. What is the sign? We said, and Allah knows best, that the message from the Lord is this, that the last age is going to witness this event, this re-enactment of that epic encounter between truth and falsehood between power drunk and arrogant falsehood stamping its bloody foot on the face of the fair earth in Guantanamo in Abu Ghraib all over Afghanistan in the northwest of Pakistan that epic encounter between those who rule with falsehood, those with arrogant power drunk, and targeting and oppressing the small group of people led by a prophet who had no tanks but who had the truth, who were being demonized, who were being terrorized, who were being oppressed, who were being enslaved. That epic encounter ended with destruction of the forces of falsehood, destruction of the forces of oppression, and victory for truth because of a divine intervention. The message is that those who live the way he lived, Pharaoh, would die the way he died. Wa'im min ahlil kitab illa la yu'minanna bihi qabla mawtihi wa yawm al-qiyamati yakunu alayhim shaheeda it'll take too much time this morning for us to unravel and paint for you the picture of the end but we want to go back to the slave woman one of the strategies that he employed, Pharaoh, was to seek to eliminate baby boys so that there would be a preponderance of baby girls over baby boys. Yusabihuna abna akum, wa yastahyuna nisa akum, wa fidalikum bala'um rabbikum azim. As it was at that time, so will it be again in the end time. The Jal will follow in the footsteps of Pharaoh. The United States is becoming Egypt. Any Egyptian could go to the United States and see all the signs there. Pharaoh is taking over the United States of America. If you can't see that, I suggest you go to the eye specialist. Pharaoh. Pharaoh is taking over. 
the United States of America. And as the baby boys are slaughtered and the baby girls become preponderant, you have an upside down world for Banu Israel. That upside down world is coming to us as well. And there it is in the slave woman giving birth to her mistress. It's the same thing. How can a slave woman give birth to her mistress? In order for us to answer that, we have to begin with the philosophy of gender in Islam. I'm famous in New York for an expression that I used, something similar to the blue jeans Jamaat. I used it once in a lecture and then it just started being repeated everywhere. I said, if God is a man, that's bad news for women. <laughs> Some people didn't like it at all. Because if you say that God is a man, then God has gender. He is inside gender. Your philosophy of gender is such that even God has gender. But wait a minute. Why should he be a man? You are setting up. Those who accept God as a man, you are setting them up for tomorrow. When God as a man is going to be swept aside as discriminatory to women. So <laughs> tomorrow will come when you be forced to concede that no, we can no longer believe that God is a man because that is discriminatory to women. It is in conflict with reason and we must be a reasonable people. And so God is now both a man and a woman. It has already come. Why should God have a son? What's wrong with daughters? You are setting up those who worship this way for a tomorrow which will come in which they'll be swept aside saying that this is a philosophy of gender which must be rejected. In Islam, Allah created both the male and the female, but he, the masculine, the masculine he, the muzakkar, laysa kamithlihi shay. The masculine gender is given to him but he is not male. Laysa kamithlihi shay. In Arabic, that beautiful language, the best language in the world, the sun is feminine. Ashamsu tajri. The sun is feminine. And the moon the moon, you won't believe this, the moon is masculine. Well, qamar, qaddarnahu. The moon is masculine. But no poet, no poet ever bothers to ascribe to the 
moon masculine qualities the whole world knows the whole world knows that the moon is like the woman kalchaudari ki chandati they have in urdu last night with the full moon and all through the night they sang your praises some were saying it's the full moon others are saying no it's your face hmm? so the moon and the woman the sun and the power of the, with the men so in arabic the masculine gender does not connote masculinity no and the feminine gender in grammar does not connote femininity the same thing in french but in this language english language when you say he god you commit shirk because he in english connotes masculinity but allah who allah allah is neither male nor female allah created both the male and the female and since allah created both the female and the male and is neither male nor female this philosophy of gender allows us to deal with the slave woman who gives birth to her mistress others can't do what we can do well if he created the male and the female how did he create them for what purpose did he create them i was sitting in a conference in malaysia anwar ibrahim was on the platform there this is while he was the deputy prime minister before he went to jail and uh, the qari came forward to recite from the quran and i had listened to these verses many many times before and he recited walayli idha yaghsha and by the night and that which it shrouds and covers so mysteriously wan nahari idha tajalla and by the day and its bright light nothing hidden wama khalaqa dhakara wal untha wama khalaqa dhakara wal untha oh wait a minute allah is sending a message here and i could not recognize it all the years of my life that in the same way that i created the night and the day so too did i create the male and the female that is what it was saying the night and the day were created to complement each other not to supersede each other not to replace each other but to complement each other the day has his functions to perform and the night has her functions to perform so you are functionally different and you are functionally complementary and the prophet said allah's blessings be upon him that women are the twin halves of men women are the twin halves of men 
Who wants to live in a world of only daylight and no, no night time? None of the mystery of the night, nothing of the darkness of the night, nothing of the rest of the night. Who wants to live in a world of only night and no sunshine? That in the same way that I created the night and the day, so too did I create the male and the female. And in case you did not understand that message, then Allah comes with a fourth verse, which was really not necessary. But it is now placed here to emphasize. Inna sa'ayyakum lashatta. Inna sa'ayyakum lashatta. He's speaking about the night and about the day because he wants you to know that you are functionally different. Inna sa'ayyakum lashatta. This part of the lecture my wife loves very much. Sometimes I give a lecture and I get back home and I get a boof. Boof means she criticizes me. Your voice is too loud. You spend too much time on riba. But this part of the lecture, oh, she loves it very much. When the, when the, day, when the day is day and the night is night, then look at the beauty of Allah's creation. There is intense attraction between the day and the night. No, they're not going to like this part of the lecture in Lower Manhattan. There is intense attraction between the day and the night. When the night is being approached, the day is coming to an end. The weary, the weary toil of the day is coming to an end. And he is now approaching her. Look at the excitement. Look at the riot of colors in the sunset. Look at the sun as it goes down. No longer a yellow sun. Now it's a bright red sun, a boiling hot sun. The sun is going down like a blazing ball of fire. That's the excitement of the male approaching the female. That's the splendor of Allah's creation. But they don't understand this in lower Manhattan. And as the, the day plunges into the arms of the night, plunges into the arms of the night, a shattering experience. There is a calm that descends at sunset. There is a period of dusk as they become closer to each other. And then there is a time for rest. 
the early hours of the night are the best time to sleep. And then there is a time for prayer and you wake up. And there is a time for meditation, to think in the early hours of the morning. And there's a time for love. And then there's a time to say goodbye. And notice, as the sun seeks to leave the night, the day seeks to leave the night, the night is holding on to him. She does not want him to go. And so while he went into her arms with a plunging ball of fire, in the morning it's just a single ray of light. That's all. And then a second ray of light. Slowly, slowly, the dawn gives way to the day displaying the intensity of the attraction between the male and the female. That's the natural order that Allah has given. And you'd notice in this hall, we have not put up any partitions and barriers between the brothers and the sisters. We didn't do that. No. We didn't have our women in one world and our men in another world, two separate worlds altogether. No, we didn't do that. No. Our brothers and our sisters lived here as a family, in a single space. Of course, with a forbidden space between each other. A forbidden space for the physical touch and a forbidden space for the tongue and the eyes. But other than that, we live together. And when we build the Muslim village, our women will pray in the same space with our men. Yes, because did he not say? But of course, nobody says that today. It's forgotten. They put it in cold storage. You know cold storage? That when the women go down in Sijda. They must remain in Sijda longer than the men. Why? Said the Prophet because some of the men may not have enough cloth to cover themselves properly. And so if a woman were to raise her head too soon, it would be an unwelcome sight, an unpleasant sight. And so he ordered the woman to remain longer in Sishda than the men, indicating that there was no barrier between the men and the women. Today, the women are not allowed in the masjid. No, out. We don't want you in this masjid. Today, the women are put upstairs in a balcony. They're put downstairs in the basement. They're put in an annex. They put them anywhere. But not in the same space with the men. And if you put them in the same space with the men, you have to put up a barrier. 
So when they pray, they only pray with their ears, not with their eyes. But not here. When we build the Muslim village, our women will pray in the same space with the men. Tomorrow they will have a problem. Tomorrow their daughters and their granddaughters are going to build a masjid for women only. Their daughters and their granddaughters are going to turn to them and say to them, You denied us the rights that Allah gave to us. So shut your mouth. We are taking over. We're building a masjid for women only. And a woman will now deliver the khutbah. And a woman will now lead the salah. It's coming. But it ain't going to come to the Muslim village. When men and women live together as a family, there is excitement. There is electricity in the air. When men and women live together as a family, the male-female relationship operates as nature intended that it should operate. Yes, there are times when you have to restrain yourself. I love her, but she doesn't want me. We got married, but then she threw me out. And now I can't do without her. So I'm following her wherever she goes in Medina, you see me follow. It happened in Medina, didn't it? And even the messenger of Allah was feeling sorry for him. Yes. <laughs> Sorry for him. That's how they lived in Marina. When you have the male-female relationship with this kind of excitement, with all of the drama of life, then you have the natural order. And then people can live with peace and with happiness even if they have only a loaf of bread. But if Dajjal is to rule the world, he has to take this, up, this natural order and turn it upside down. And what he has done is to give to the world a feminist revolution. The last people, said the Prophet, والسلام, to come out of Dajjal will be women. And a man would have to return to his home and tie down, meaning coercively restrain his wife, his sister, his daughter, to protect them from Dajjal. So something is going to come which will mesmerize women, which will utterly brainwash them. What is it? It is the feminist revolution. And it is a revolution which takes the night and says to the night, it is discriminatory if you are prevented from trying to become day. Anything that a man does, a woman should have the freedom to do it as well. And so he said that women would dress like men. You have to dress like a man if you want to assume the functional role of men. And so she goes out to work full-time and when she goes out to work full-time not only does she dress like a man she has to speak like a man 
I'm not going to mention the name of anyone in Mr. Clinton's cabinet. And as she speaks like a man, her face becomes masculine. Hmm? She loses all the femininity of her woman. She loses all the shyness, all the bashfulness of a woman. She's uncovered when the mystery of a woman is in her being covered. You have to take off the layers one by one gently on your honeymoon night to be able to discover who she is. But when all is uncovered, that's where Uncle Sam's daughter is today. She loses her femininity. And as she loses her femininity, then the natural attraction begins to wane. When the sun comes to the day, at the end of the day, the sun no longer plunges like a ball of fire into the arms of the night. No. Because now you have an adversarial relationship. The male-female relationship. It's pots and pans flying all over the room. And as the, the day loses interest in the night, Eventually, the day develops an interest in the day. It's natural. And so you have an unnatural sexual relationship becoming the natural. This is an upside-down world, isn't it? And that's where we are today with the Gay and Lesbian Rights Day Parade in downtown Manhattan. And every leader worth his salt will have to go and join the march sometime or the other. If you are to be counted as a part of mainstream, if that's your choice, you're going to have to march that this is a sexual preference which is now natural and must be accommodated. That the day can mate with the day. But not only does she lose her femininity and the attraction between the male and the female is no longer there. The electricity is no longer there. But she also loses her fertility. The womb refuses to bear children. But her husband wants a child. And so she goes to the fertility clinics, can't have any children, pays a lot of money, but nothing's working. Well, then what to do? He said it. Sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam. A slave woman is down in the bottom of the hole of the ship. She's drinking polluted water. She's eating GM food. Huh? She's a slave woman. She's Indonesian. She's Bangladeshi. She's Indian. But because she has not attempted to become day, she is still a woman. She is still 
enchantingly a woman. Her womb is still fertile. So you rent her womb. It's called rent a womb. And the male sperm or the male egg is now injected into her. And she becomes pregnant. And for nine months she lives like a queen. Yes. Bottle water for her. Mineral water for her. Why? It's a first class baby she has. She's a first class baby. She must eat organic food. Yeah. Why? It's a first class baby out there. And she is treated like a queen for nine months until the baby is born. And when the baby is born, she is paid for her services. And then the baby goes first class. Because mama belongs to the elite. And so the slave woman gives birth to someone who will rule over her. Is that already happening in the world? Come on, you know it. You know it, it's happening in the world. It's a big industry in India now. It's a big industry in India. Because Mama, in the elite traveling first class, she doesn't particularly like Muslims. <laughs> but then why is it a slave girl who is born, a baby girl? Why not a baby boy? Before we answer that question, my wife reminded me on the way coming that it's not only because of infertility that she turns to the slave woman. It's also because of convenience, said my wife this morning, and I marveled. Say, mashallah, tomorrow you must come give the lecture. Because she's now a working woman. She's a working woman with commitments for her work. She can't take so much leave. Not only is it inconvenient to bear the baby for nine months in her womb, it's inconvenient to go through childbirth and then taking care of the infant at the beginning stage not compatible with her career and her work obligation. So as a matter of convenience, the working woman, the Giles working woman, must now turn to a surrogate mother. And then I was told about a third reason. I must tread carefully now. Part of a woman's beauty is her body. Her body. And uh, the jazz modern age has taken the young woman and made her a goddess. You use her to sell motorcars. You use her to sell cell phones. 
use her for every, she is the marketing tool of everything, the young woman. And she must have a beautiful body. But uh, when I bear babies, I lose my figure. So, in order for me to preserve this body, it would be convenient for me to ask the slave woman to bear the babies instead of me. Mm -hmm. Now let's return to the baby girl. Why the baby girl and not the baby boy? This is the hypothesis. It still needs to be tested to determine its validity. And I have asked the medical doctors, this is a field in which I don't have competence, Islamic medical ethics. But we do have in, in Durban in South Africa, Dr. Abul Fad Mohsen Ibrahim, who was a student of Maulana Fadur Rahman Ansari, we studied together. And he has become an expert in Islamic medical ethics. He's written a doctoral thesis on, on um, uh, abortion, contraception, surrogate parenting, etc. Uh, under Ismail Farooqi at Temple University in Philadelphia. Ismail Farooqi Marhum, Shaheed. It is possible that genetically modified food while still delivering nutrition may fail to deliver the medicinal nutrition that we need, for example, for maintaining the strength of the immune system. That's the easy part of the subject. But what is the mystery of sperm production? What is it that determines the health of sperm production? Surely, if you tamper with the genetic composition of food, surely if you tamper with the purity of water, surely if you pollute the environment, and surely if you give to people a life of utmost stress, it could possibly damage the capacity of the male to produce the natural sperm. And if there is deficiency in sperm production, it is possible, I'm not saying that this is so, I'm giving you a hypothesis that you might want to study. This could result in less and less baby boys being born and more and more baby girls being born. And so she gives birth to her mistress and not her master. This would be a parallel with Pharaoh who was killing the baby boys. And over here you're killing the baby boys with a more sophisticated and complicated conspiracy. Hmm? A parallel between the two. But there is a second possible reason. 
that she gives birth to her mistress, not her master. And that is that as less and less baby boys are born, more and more baby girls, there's a tomorrow which is coming when women are going to outnumber men and when it's one man, one vote, it's also one woman, one vote. In consequence of which women will outnumber men and you might live to see it that the United States might choose to follow Pakistan and have a Benazir as president. They've never had a woman as president of the United States. And Britain has only had one, Margaret Thatcher. Huh? And so a tomorrow is coming when the ruling states in the world will not only have women ruling over them, but it will now become the general pattern for women to rule over men. Whereas Allah in the Quran says, that men have a measure of authority. This is not dictatorship over women. And there is a hadith which has not been contested for 1400 years far as I'm aware, that a people who choose a woman to rule over them would not be successful, said Muhammad alayhi salatu hmm? And so she gives birth to a baby boy, but the baby boy would not rule over her. But when she gives birth to a baby girl, the baby girl will rule over her. Because that's a world coming tomorrow where women will rule over men. We have completed uh, one hour of this introduction to the feminist revolution. I don't need really to expand more on the subject and take up another two or three hours, which we can do. It is sufficient that we have given you the foundation. You've listened to the lectures in the past. In this science of the last day in modern, of the modern age, there are three essays on this subject that you will find. One is the feminist revolution in the last age. The other is the philosophy of gender in Islam. And the last one is woman and paradise Islam in Islam I want to read the last piece of this last essay Islam has never sought to put an equal sign between the sexes woman can neither be studied nor understood in a context independent of men the two are inseparable. The Prophet declared that women were the twin halves of men. The Quran confirmed their interdependence when it declared they are your garments and you are their garments. When this philosophy of gender was applied to Muslim society 
the night never attempted to become day. Rather, night and day eternally longed for each other. And so we were never subjected to the abominable phenomenon that European civilization is now exporting to the rest of the world of the day mating with the day and vice versa. Women in such a society not only fulfilled all their sacred functional duties as wives and mothers and thus contributed in a significant way to the preservation of health, strength and stability of the family. But in addition, they preserve both their femininity as well as their fertility. And so the Muslim woman remained truly and enchantingly a woman. An age, an age that produced the celibate priest who obstinately insisted that one had to turn away from woman in order to turn to God. In such an age, Prophet Muhammad responded by declaring, and what a man is this to speak like this. He said three things have been made dear to me in this world of yours. Perfume, woman, and prayer. And so Islam rejected both celibacy and rejected woman as an object while recognizing woman like prayer to be a medium through which a man my journey to paradise. We now have a brief uh, question and answer session. I can't take all your questions. I know. But uh, if you have any question, inshallah, we shall attempt to answer it before we turn to the next session, which is not going to be as fascinating as this one. Uh, any questions? Yes. We have a microphone. Let's turn this on a little faster. At the back. Yeah. Right, okay. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, you mentioned um, earlier with regard to OPEC controlling obviously the oil production. 
And if I understand correctly, I think the dollar and the price of oil are linked. So is it, does it work such that by keeping the price of oil low, the price of the dollar stays high? I was wondering if we just probably elaborate quickly on that then. Okay, we're going to have to hold with that question. Okay. Uh, let us stay with the feminist revolution. Oh, we'll come back to that, inshallah. Yes, Davi. Davi, his question is about the link between the price of oil and the dollar. Whereas we were talking about the sale of oil, that oil cannot be bought without using the dollar. The price of oil is a different subject. Yes. If we know from the from the life of the Prophet is that okay? That uh, that Khadija anhu was uh, a woman who worked, and so we know that there is some permissibility for women to work and to have their own property. What criterion do you use to say when it's appropriate and when it's not? Okay, a working woman. Well, my mother worked all her life. And your mother also worked, and all mothers worked. So we're not, we have to do something more than use the word working woman, because all women work. What we're talking about here is a woman who is full-time employed, full-time employed outside of the home. That's what we're talking about, that kind of a working woman, because all women work. How do we judge? What is the criterion by which we judge the subject about full-time work outside of the home? When women entered into the workforce, they did so as part of the initial steps of the feminist revolution to take them out of the home. But there's also exploitation in that the woman who is now employed full-time out of the home was paid half or maybe one-third of the salary that the man was paid. And so she was being exploited, ripped off by a capitalist system that was in search of the cheapest labor a form of slave labor. And she's been struggling from that time, three centuries now, to this day, struggling to have some kind of a parity and equality. Equal, equal work, equal pay. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. When women leave the homes and go out to work full time, it is an aberration of the subject that you should isolate a single woman who has no husband, no children. That's not the normal woman, okay? The normal woman is the one who has a husband and every single woman who comes to the Muslim village and who is not married and who says, I want to be married. We have a duty to find her a husband. Not all men are handsome. No. <laughs> no. 
so you might not get a prince. Not all trees are ornamental trees. Wallahu ambatakum min al nabata, didn't he say so? So, but you'll get a husband. Might not be an ornamental tree, but you'll get a husband. And it may be a man who already has a wife, and Allah has given him the means to marry another time. So, in the Muslim village, we're not going to be promoting plural marriages. No. That's your choice. That's your choice. What we're going to do is to ensure that there is no woman in the village who wants a husband and who is without a husband. Hmm? So the normal woman would be a woman who has a husband and the normal woman would be the woman who is fertile. The infertile woman is the exception to the norm. And so the normal family would be a family of mummy, daddy and the children. And then Allah says, Wallahu ambatakum min al nabata. And Allah has caused you to grow forth from the earth like trees and plants. Every farmer knows that you have to put your nursery plants in a safe, sheltered place. Haven't you ever done farming? You can't just leave your nursery plants with the next door neighbor. You can't leave them with the babysitter. You can't put your nursery plants in the daycare center and go to work. What kind of farmer are you? Mommy didn't do that. A farmer has duties to perform to the nursery plants. And so the woman who is full-time employed outside of the home and who has children will now fail to perform her normal duties to her children. If she thinks that she has fulfilled her duties to her baby, does the baby have any rights? Should we seek the baby's opinion? So we go to the baby and we ask the baby, do you prefer mummy? Or the daycare center. Guess what the baby says. Yeah. When the baby grows up, the baby does not forget. No. The baby remembers that you were negligent to me. I longed for you. I didn't have you. I wanted mummy. I know daddy had to go out to work, but I wanted mummy. So the baby will pay you back in your own coins one day. When you are now an old woman with a walking stick. And you want to be with your son and your grandchildren. But then your son and your daughter says, Mama, it's not convenient for us to have you at home. We got to go to work, Mama. So we're going to have to put you 
in an adult home. I call it a junkyard of human beings. That's the feminist revolution. But there are circumstances where in individual cases, a husband can permit his wife to go out and work full time, provided that her duties as a wife and a mother are not compromised. And when she goes out to work, you don't go out to work looking like Marilyn Monroe. You don't go out to work to flaunt your beauty. No. <laughs> The night and that which it shrouds and conceals. You conceal your beauty. You conceal your attraction for your husband. You'll dress in a way which is modest. And when you go out to work, you will dress as a woman, not as a man. I assure you, you're going to be fired within one week. Yeah. They don't want you to dress like a woman. They want you to dress like a man. And when you go out to work, you'll have to interact with men, yes. Islam has never prohibited a woman from speaking to a man, but there is a forbidden space in terms of physical contact, and there's a forbidden space in terms of the content of conversation. Next question. Abir, I can't hear you. Rosa. Um, when, when a woman works and then she has babies, it's a woman's intuition when she knows she has to stay home. So when you, we want to know when a woman draws the line to stay home. It's a woman's intuition. She automatically knows. I have friends that work and I always tell them, you take your babies from house to house as if they were orphans and they had no mother and you're alive. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. You know, I'm educated, but I stay home. I got my education. When I have kids, I'm going to teach my kids. Instead of getting somebody else rich, I'll get my kids rich. Yeah. I normally answer these questions in this way. I recognize that to be a collapsing world out there. I recognize that ship to be sinking. And I recognize that no one can prevent it from sinking. So do not invite me to get on board that ship to solve your problems for you. The sensible thing for me to do is to get off the ship. And having... <laughs> it doesn't make sense for me to remain on the ship and tell you to get off. <laughs> so the sensible thing for me is to get off a sinking ship. And when I get off the sinking ship, then I invite you to, in, to get off as well. That's the Muslim village. And when you come to the Muslim village, then I have a duty to help you to solve your problems. So if you are a woman and a single mother, and the baby's father is not maintaining the baby, we're going to go after him. Karen 
Eccles is from Brooklyn and she will tell you in Brooklyn you can harass an American woman and get away with it but don't you dare touch a Muslim woman not in Brooklyn because if you make the mystic to touch a Muslim woman all the men are going to turn and pounce upon you like tigers so in the Muslim village we're going to go after that husband that father who is not maintaining his children and we'll teach him a lesson he'll never forget and in the Muslim village a woman does not have to go pounding the pavements looking for a job to pay her rent and pay her electricity bill not in the Muslim village because men have an obligation not only to guard and protect women but also to maintain them so we will try to solve the problems here in the Muslim village but sorry we can't solve the problems of a sinking ship next question please Islam permits women and has encouraged women to get their education. Now, we are speaking about the ideal situation where a woman has a different role from a man. But how many daycare centers have men who have the patience and the capability to bring, to bring up children whose mothers are not able to? We will not listen. Don't ask me to solve your problems in your society. Why? Because I recognize that mainstream society to be a sinking ship and no one can prevent it from sinking. So I'm not going to waste my time attempting to solve those problems. You still have those Maulanas who are patakik, patakik, baker's man. In the Muslim village, we will try to restore the natural way of life. And in the natural way of life as ordained by Allah, if a woman has to go out to the field with her husband to work, the woman of the village, not a daycare center, not a commercial activity, no. The woman of the village will take your baby and your baby will be in the warm arms of a surrogate mother for a while, in homes. Because all the children of the village are our children. And we live together as a family. You know, Hillary Clinton wrote that book. Remember? It takes a village to raise a child. Very pretty name. I didn't read the book, but very nice name. So this is the way we solve the problem of women who have to go out and have babies. The village will take care of your baby. We have time for another question. 
Karima. Okay. <clears throat> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. In expounding on what Davi mentioned, which I hear it quite often that Muslim women, we tend to gravitate to that Khadija radiallahu anha, that she was a businesswoman um, or entrepreneur. But I just wanted to know when she met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what did she do with her business? Mm. Who did she have to maintain her business as a woman? Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha was a businesswoman. And after the Prophet married her, there is no evidence at all to suggest that she stopped being a businesswoman. No. Islam gives the women the right to have their own business and to run their own business. And if you make money in your business and he wants a loan from you, he better ask for it politely because he has no right to your wealth. No. Your wealth is yours. And his wealth is his, except that sometimes when you get married, she says, what is mine is mine, what is yours is mine, in front of God. What is his is his, and what is hers is hers. If you combine to run a business, you better put it down in writing. What share is his and what share is hers. So that if there is a divorce, you know exactly how the business is to be shared between the two. Okay? The institution of a dowry, mahar, in Islam, symbolizes the woman's right to earn property in her own name. But in addition to that, it compensates her for the loss of time involved in rearing and taking care of children where she can be in her business. She may have to give it up because she has to take care of children. So she has the right to ask for what she wants to ask as a dowry. You're not buying her for that price. Rather, you are compensating her for what could be for her an economic loss. Any other questions? Yes? Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Um, I have a question oh, about, yes, uh, about the role of men uh, protecting womanhood and also maybe in the case of um, sisters who maybe are not uh, following the dean as closely as they should, or maybe not dressing, you know, 100% appropriately or whatever. What is the role of the male in the household? The community. The unity of the male and the female. In the community. What is the role of the male in the community? Insofar as this subject is concerned, 
namely the male-female relationship? The answer is to be found in Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 34. الرجال قوامون على النساء إلى آخر الآية. That men in the relationship with women in the community have a duty, have an obligation to guard and to protect women, and have a duty and an obligation to maintain women. No woman, no woman in a Muslim village is forced to work in order to maintain herself because if she does not have the means to maintain herself then the community has an obligation to maintain her meaning the men of the community all right we can have a 15 minute break and then we'll come back inshallah assalamualaikum How are you?